Well, we are going to try to land the plane today. We've been in this series for the last five weeks um, where we have been um, looking at, at kind of the big picture, what it is that God is doing. Uh, the, the, the idea is we have been trying to find a framework that will help us understand uh, everything else we read in the scriptures, everything else we experience in our own lives, if we have a, if we have a framework that helps us to see that. And so if you've been tracking with us for the last five weeks, um, you know that, that we have been uh, working from the point of creation and we're headed to new creation, and that's where we're going to be today. If you haven't been with us uh, for the last f- five weeks, and particularly if you aren't a church person, if you're here today and, and you're still trying to figure out what it is you believe about Jesus, I'm so glad you're here today because we're going to download a whole ton of content, and hopefully it'll help you understand some of the Christians you know. So um, it'll help you understand what it is we think. So, um, <clears throat> so. Uh, that's what, that's what we're going to do today, um, and uh, or that's what we're going to try to do. We'll see what we actually do. So, so, um, <clears throat> so, uh, just to uh, just to remember where we've been. So, we've talked about this roadmap, and and the idea of the roadmap. I I came across one that was a beautiful roadmap. It made all kinds of sense. I understood exactly how it all hung together, but it had eleven parts. And I thought, no one wants to sit through an eleven part series. So, I kept looking, and I found this um, this structure. Uh, so here is the structure we've been looking at. The idea is creation, covenant, new, uh, sorry, uh, kingdom, new covenant, and finally new creation. So creation is the idea that God made everything there is and everything that God made is good. That's where we began. Uh, but it doesn't take much effort to realize that something has gone wrong. It, you know, we may, we live in Alaska, we may see beautiful things here, but it's not that hard to find things that are pretty ugly too. So we know something has gone wrong with creation. And so we talked about covenant. Covenant is the idea that God has made a commitment, that God will be at work fixing what's wrong with creation, that God has made a covenant. He's not going to walk away. He's not going to abandon this project. He's not going to wad it up and start over on version 2.0. God will be with this creation until he has redeemed it. And then we talked about kingdom, the idea that the way, the way that that's going to happen is God is going to send a king, that, that what God will do is solve the problems, the, the, the problem of something having gone wrong with creation by, by, by saying, um, I'm going to reestablish my sovereignty over a rebellious world. That God will do what we prayed for earlier in our prayer, that God will cause his will to be in effect here on earth the way it is in heaven. So he sent a king, Jesus, and uh, so we've talked about that. And the thing that Jesus told us is that there's a now a new covenant. Uh, there's a new covenant that, that, that's in effect now, and it is um, different from the old covenant in two ways that are important for us today. The first one is that it includes us. If you're not uh, of Jewish ancestry, then you are included because all the people of the world um, have that this this covenant is accessible to all the people in the world. So that's the first part. The other thing is it's much easier. Well, it's it's much it's much simpler uh, because we could, it may not be easier. We learned that the new covenant is a covenant um, of love. That that Jesus said, "By this they will know you're my disciples that you love one another." And that is the new covenant we received. And so it may not be always easier, but it's certainly a lot simpler than the old covenant. And finally, that brings us now today to new creation. So this is where we've been headed. Uh, the whole idea is something has gone wrong, and now it's going to get better. What is that going to look like? So that's what we've been talking about today. And I know 
Um, I know that um, uh, this is not a new idea to Christians. We see glimpses of it throughout the Hebrew Scriptures. We heard a um, we heard a reading from the uh, a prophet um, uh, Isaiah, and Isaiah talked about how um, God would would solve these problems we've been discussing. Um, he says, in Jerusalem, the Lord of Heaven's armies will spread a wonderful feast for all the people of the world. He talked about how um, God is going to. Um, create a, um, a, uh, a new heaven and a new earth that there would no longer be crying. We heard, we heard some of the words of that, um, prophecy. Um, and he, he talks about how we will no longer be, um, subject to death, that there would no longer be, um, death. Not only that, but God would wipe away the tears because, because death has caused lots of pain and suffering that God would wipe away those tears. And, um, uh, he says, even mockery that that all those things in the new creation those would be those would be behind us, and then the apostle Paul, in his letter to the romans says it 's not just people, creation itself longs for the day that God will redeem creation. He says all creation is awaiting eagerly that future day when God will reveal through who his children are so so not just us as people we we await. That new creation, certainly, we await an end to death and into pain and suffering, but so does creation, and that's the promise that is, that is held before us. And, um, I want to take a little brief side trip because I know, um, some people have a perspective, and I know that there's, there's churches that teach this, um, that, that really God is going to wipe this slate clean, that God is going to shake the etch a sketch and start all over again. Um, but that's not what we find in scripture. And to kind of get us into that place, um, you know, we live in Alaska. I want you to think of the prettiest thing you've ever seen here. Okay, the prettiest scene you've ever seen in Alaska. Okay, now with that in front of you, I want to read a little passage. This is from The Divine Conspiracy by um, Dallas Willard. So Dallas Willard, um, he uh, he was, uh, I guess he grew up in uh, Missouri, but he became a professor at uh, University of Southern California in um, Los Angeles, and he lived out the rest of his career there. And... Um, uh, so he knew a f- few things about beaches. Um, so here's what he writes. While I was teaching in South Africa some time ago, a young man named Matthew Dickerson took me out to see the beaches near his home in Port Elizabeth. I was totally unprepared for the experience. I had seen beaches, or so I thought. But when we came over the rise where the sea and land opened up to us, I stood in stunned silence and then slowly walked toward the waves. Words cannot capture the view that confronted me. I saw space and light and texture and color and power that seemed hardly of this earth. Gradually there crept into my mind the realization that God sees this all the time. He sees it, experiences it, knows it from every possible point of view. In this and billions of other scenes like it and unlike it, in this and billions of other worlds, great tidal waves of joy must constantly wash through his being. It is perhaps strange to say, but suddenly I was extremely happy for God, and I thought I had some sense of what an infinitely joyous consciousness he is and what it might have meant for him to look at his creation and find it very good. We pay a lot of money to get a tank with a few tropical fish in it, and we never tire of looking at their brilliant iridescence and marvelous forms and movements, but God has seas full of them, which he constantly enjoys. 
This is creation. And we know that things have gone wrong, but we know there is so much of beauty in it that gives God joy. And so, as the scriptures teach, God, God's plan is not to consume this world, but to renew it. Just before the reading we heard from um, Revelation, I had to cut because it was already quite long, as you noticed. Um, uh, I spent the last two days in church pews, so um, so I'm sympathetic. I wanted this to not go on forever. Um, so uh, just just a few verses before the one we we heard, the ones we heard from Revelation, um, John records this as part of his vision. He says, "The one sitting on the throne said, "Look, I am making everything new." In in the old language. I make all things new. God does not say, I make all new things. God says, I make all things new. So, the idea, the idea that we're going to be looking at today is that God will make all things new. But that raises the question, when? When is this going to happen? Because for a lot of us, that's what really matters most. You know, for some people, some people, it's like, you know, here's my problem when I pray the Lord's Prayer. When it says, thy kingdom come, you know, I'm fine with that happening someday. But there are some things I want to do first. You know, I might want to go see that beach in, in um, South Africa, right? Um, there are things I want to do first. I want to see my kids grow up. I want to see them get married. I want to become a grandfather. I want... I want a lot of things like that. And then, of course, as, as many of you know, once you have the grandchildren, then you want to see them grow up. You want to see them graduate, right? You want to see, you want to become a great grandparent, right? You know, there's these things, these things we want to do. So, so we want that new creation. We want the world to be redeemed. But in the meantime, our lives aren't really all bad. I mean, we have problems, right? No one has a perfect life, but, there's a lot of good and we can anticipate more good and we're kind of looking forward to that. So, so we want, we want Jesus to return but, but not too soon. Right? And yet at the same time we know there are people, Jesus cannot possibly come soon enough. You know, because tomorrow is Monday and they've got to go back to work. And, and the thing that's, that's waiting for them at work is more than they can handle or more than they know how to handle. Or for some of us, it's not work at school. That there's someone waiting at school, and we're going to have to deal with that, and there's there's just no way for that to come to a good scenario. For some of us, it's not a place we're headed. It's a thing. It's, it's a bottle. It's a jar. There's an addiction that we suffer from, and we feel the appeal all the time. And unless Jesus returns this afternoon, we don't know how we can ever master that Appeal. So for some people, Jesus should be in no hurry. Take your time. We're not in any hurry. For other people, it's like Jesus cannot possibly come soon enough. So when is he coming? When is he coming? Well, that's the question we're going to look at today. But to help us get into that question, I want to look more closely at the passage from Revelation, the the familiar streets of gold passage that we just heard. If you were here last summer and you remember the the series we did um, where we looked at a number of passages in Revelation, we're familiar with the idea that Revelation is is uh, uses this symbolic language to convey something that that uh, surpasses 
surpasses prose and has to be expressed as poetic poetic forms. So um, so we're used to that, and yet at the same time, it's not always easy to understand. So let's take a look at this passage from Revelation 21. But where we're headed is an answer to the question, when will this all take place? So, so the part we heard um, begins in verse 9. It says, Then one of the seven angels who held the seven bowls containing the seven last plagues came to me and said, Come with me, I'll show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. So what does he see? He's taken up to a high mountain, and he sees the holy city, Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God. Now, again, I know that there are Christian traditions that say that's not the way it works. Actually, Jesus will take us away, that we leave this place. But what we see in Revelation is Jesus comes down. And really, that shouldn't be a surprise to us, because that's what he did the first time. Jesus came down. Jesus brought heaven down to earth because we could never aspire to reach heaven on our own. So Jesus brought heaven down to us. And what John sees in Revelation is that he will do it again. And finally, in the last days, that Jesus will bring heaven down to earth. And we see that same, we see one of the implications. If we jump down toward the bottom, he says, I saw no temple in the city. For the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. Now, we don't have temples today. I mean, there aren't many temples around, but, but, um, what, what is a temple? A temple is a sacred place. It's a place where, where heaven and earth touch. That's the idea behind a heaven, uh, behind a temple. But the problem with a temple is that it acquires an infrastructure. It, it, it acquires a temple cult because the temple uh, is not just that place, but it's the building and the people. There, be, there comes to be a sacred group of people who guard that place, the priesthood, who limits access to that spot where heaven and earth touch. But John says, in the new heaven and the new earth, the new Jerusalem, there will no longer be a temple because everyone will have access to God. There will no longer be that priesthood who mediates God for us, that we will all have direct access to God. And um, uh, we see again that idea that not only that, but the whole, uh, that, that we will not only have access, not in the sense of saying, I feel the presence of God in this place, but but undeniable, palpable presence of God, as clear as the noonday sun, as, as obvious as a light in a dark room. He says, that's what it will be like. And then speaking of light, he says, the nations will walk in that light. Us Gentiles, we will be included in that. It will not be limited just to the Jews. The nations will walk in its light. Oh, I'm way behind, aren't I? Okay, there we go. All right. So um, the nations will walk in its light, and its gate will never be closed. This is an expansive vision of what what the new heaven and the new earth, what the new creation will be like. And then... There's that section in the middle, the, the, the streets of gold, the, the walls of gemstones. What's that all about? Well, first of all, we see, we see the first thing we see about the, the, the new heaven and the earth is, uh, uh, sorry, the new Jerusalem is just how big it is. It's covered with, uh, it's, it sparkles like a precious stone. And then we see that it's, it's, uh, broad and high with 12 gates guarded by 12 angels. And, um, uh, there's some details about the gates, but um, then he begins to measure it, and he finds its length and width and height were each 1,400 miles. 1,400 miles. So it spans half of North America, if it were located here, 
and it goes up five times as high as the International Space Station. Okay, it's way up in in um, above anything. This is this this is a conceptual image that we just cannot take in. What would a city look like if it extended fourteen hundred miles up off the surface of the Earth? It would be unimaginable. So what? What, what does he mean by that, what, by that picture? I think it gets back to the idea of the gates not being closed, the nations of the world. This is a huge and expansive vision. The, the new Jerusalem is something beyond our capacity to take in. It's, it's bigger than we can imagine. And not only that, but it's beautiful. The wall was made of jasper and the city was made of pure gold as clear as glass. But it's not just beautiful and it's not just precious. It is beyond precious because where are these gems? The gems are used to lay the foundations. That's not where you put gems, right? You put them on the outside as an adornment. He's saying, he's saying that the most precious things on earth would only be fit for kind of the, the undergirding, right? You, you'd, you'd use them to, to, to build the foundations, you know, like we put gravel, you know, right? That you put the gemstones down there and then you put something even more unimaginably precious to actually build the city. In the city itself, what do we read? We read that there's gold there, but, you know, gold is pretty pedestrian. You know, we walk on gold because gold, it would just be too shabby to use gold on anything except maybe for asphalt. That's the picture. It's not just precious, but it is beyond precious. The picture that he's painting here is something that is beyond precious. So what is this city? What is this city a symbol of? Well, the angel told us at the beginning, he said, it is the bride, the wife of the lamb. Now, you know, wait a minute, is it, is it a city or is it a bride? Well, that's John for us, right? That's when we're reading Revelation, we've got to be, we've got to be prepared for those sharp corners. But John immediately changes his metaphor and begins talking about the city. But remember, what he's talking about is the bride of Christ, the bride of the lamb. What is the bride of the lamb? We are, the church. We are, collectively, us and churches around the world, we are the bride of Christ. That's why he says it's huge. That's why he says it's precious. Why does Jesus call us the bride? Because he says there's no other word I could describe it. When I look at the church, I feel the way a groom does on his wedding day. I get a little weak in my knees because I love you that much. That's the picture that Jesus uses when when he describes his church. And we go, well, you know, I don't know what church you're looking at, Jesus, but I know the one where I attend, and I don't qualify. And frankly, neither do some of these other jokers. And Jesus says, you know, don't be so sure, because that's what I see, and I'm not wrong. So I said we would look at the question of when. You know, there's, there's two answers to the question of when. One answer Jesus gave himself. He said, no one knows the day or the hour when these things will happen. Not even the angels in heaven or the Son himself. Only the Father knows. When, when will the new creation, when will, when will new creation be fully, fully realized? Jesus says, no one knows. I don't even know. But there's another answer. And it is the answer we see in Revelation. That new creation is already present in the world, in the church. The new Heaven, the, the new Jerusalem, the bride of Christ is already present in the work, in, in the world. That's what Paul meant in his letter to the Corinthian church when he said, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. 
The old has gone. The new is here. We are new creation. This is what, this is what, um, John wrote in his gospel. He says, I've seen it with my own eyes. I looked on it. It was, it was something else. I saw him. We have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. Peter talked about it too. Peter said, I not only saw him in the resurrection, I got a glimpse of it beforehand in the transfiguration. He says, we were not making up clever stories when we told you about the powerful coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. We saw his majestic splendor with his own eyes. He says, that is resurrection. And since Easter morning, it has been breaking into this world one person at a time. The new creation is coming into the world through you and through me and through the people in the church down the street. This is the new creation and it is already here. There's a lot of pictures that people use. Obviously, most of them come from scripture, but I'd like to, I'm going to be bold. I'm going to propose a new scripture because uh, a new, a new mental image we can use to understand creation. Because a lot of people think about these passages, the, the new creation, the place that God is taking the world in terms of you know, spring cleaning. God's going to clean things out. That's the kind of thing we heard in um, in Isaiah. That Isaiah says that God will will swallow up death forever. That He will remove all these things. Spring cleaning image. That's a good image. Some people go way way beyond that. They say that not only is God going to clean up the place, but God is going to burn it down. That this kind of celestial act of arson. That's what God has in mind for the world. But I want to propose a different image. When we lived in Fort Collins. Um, this has been what uh, almost twenty years ago. We lived in southern Fort Collins, southwestern Fort Collins, and we lived just um, just uh, to the east and um, south of Horsetooth Reservoir, which is a big man-made lake up in the foothills of uh, the Rocky Mountains. And um, and we looked up at it. it. We were actually in a low spot about uh, half a mile in front of this dam, and um, and one year there was a drought and they fixed it. And um, I never realized there was something wrong with it. And after that, I always looked up at the dam, and I, I would wonder, you know, how, how, how well did they fix it? And it gave me a new perspective on dams. I always kind of look at a dam, and I wonder what it'll be like if the dam disappeared, right? I just have this picture, you know, if the dam vanishes, what would that be like? So um, think about new creation that way. Jesus promises that at some point, the new creation will be fully realized. The new creation is stored up. And the dam is the timing of God. At some point, the new creation will be ushered into this world. And it will fully be realized. It will wash away all the sources of evil, as we heard. But in the meantime, the spillway is open. And new creation is seeping into this world. One Christian at a time. One church at a time. That's been happening for 2,000 years, and the world is better for it. So let me bounce that when question back at you. When is soon enough? You know, when you think about that thing, when you think about that thing, you're uneasy at the thought that that it will it will be. I don't want Jesus to return too soon. When, when, when you think about that thing, how about if Jesus is already there? What if the new creation is already there? What if you are a representative of the new creation when your children get married, when you have grandchildren? How about if you see yourself in that light, in that hospital room, in that 
church where the kids are getting married. You are new creation. How will it shine on that marriage? How will it shine on that baby? Because that's what we're called to be. We're called to reflect that glory of God throughout the world. And if there's something you're dealing with, something, you know, at work or, or at home, a relationship that you don't know if it can possibly be mended, what if you see yourself as new creation? What if you see yourself as that precious and beautiful, expansive city that John saw? How will that make things different? This is what faith is. It is to believe what we're taught in the scriptures. It is to believe that we are already becoming the people that Peter and John saw in the resurrected Christ, that we will be like him. How about if we bring that into the world? How about if we bring that into interactions? How about if we bring that into our workplace, into our addictions, into how we express our sexuality? How about if we start living like the new creation we are? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we... Most of us know all too well how much of the old creation clings to us. We are, we are, we're like survivors of an earthquake trapped under the rubble of the old creation. And yet, Lord, you promise that we are a new creation. And so, Lord, we pray for you to help us crawl out of that old creation rubble and to begin being the new creation that you promise we are. Help us to live in this life. Help us to relate to other people. Help us to relate to creation itself as ambassadors, as representatives, as examples of the new creation come already into this world. We pray it through Christ our Lord. Amen.